to come into your presence to hear your word. We bless you. We praise you. We worship you. We adore you, Lord, and lift you up and magnify you. Thank you for the living word that's able to change us from glory to glory. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So uh, today we're going to talk about wilderness prayer. Wilderness prayer. And <clears throat> what uh, what the wilderness is all about and uh, how what's the effect how does this different from your confession or your prayer in in an emergency please god help me lord whatever you know <laughs> how does this differ and what are we doing with the prayer in the wilderness in luke 5 chapter 16 it says simply here <clears throat> This was after uh, Jesus had uh, spent time healing people. Verse 16 it says, And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Amen. He withdrew himself into the wilderness to pray. Now, wilderness can be a voluntary place of seclusion. But really the... the um, um, definition of wilderness is that it is a place of living close to nature wilderness living is living close to nature and to the moralist or the person who is after say spiritual purity or or a spiritual um, uh, oneness it means to live close to God it is the one place where man can meet with Nature or God uninterrupted. The spiritual person sees wilderness as meeting with the Creator. The non-spiritual person or the spirit person who has what they call spirituality, perhaps sees nature as God. They basically worship the creature instead of the Creator. The definition of wilderness is that it is natural land. That has not been modified by human activity. This natural land that has not been modified by human activity. It is undeveloped. It has no modern infrastructure. The wilderness is considered to be important for the survival of certain species. And these wilderness areas are valued for certain spiritual, moral, and ascetic reasons. So you can see how the person living in the wilderness can feel quote unquote close to God. Because there's no interruption of human ideas. Which should give us a hint, you know. (laughs) It should tip us off to something. It's a place of solitude. Or a place for solitude. It's in modern day a place for ecological studies. The root word of wilderness, of course, is the word wild, and that means not controllable by humans. So this is a place beyond human control. 
In recent years the emphasis on conservation has encouraged the protection of wilderness and wildlife. We can say then that a wilderness is a place where all creation has total dependence upon a higher power. Total dependence. Because there's no people there for you to draw from. There's no communication there. So that help must come from outside of yourself. We'll say supernatural help. So why was Jesus, why did he voluntarily draw himself into the wilderness? When we pray, we, Jesus instruct us not to consider people when we pray. That doesn't mean that you're inconsiderate of people. But you're not to pray with your focus on how you sound to people, getting people's approval for your prayer. The prayer really is a petition between you and God. And so he instructed people to go into their closet and pray. He said don't do it on the street corners like the religious do. He said they think they will be heard for their much praying or their abundance of words or how their words sound or does it sound right to God does it not sound right to God all of these things come into mind when we're praying for men we we have that that fleshly thing where we either want attention acceptance superiority something like that we're looking for something other than that and so Jesus being who he was and knowing the type of attention he could draw to himself when he prayed he probably preferred for the prayer to be just between him and the father and so he would withdraw himself into a wilderness place where there was no temptation there was no interruption from man there was no input from man there was nobody bugging him Lord teach us to pray or you know Peter and somebody else trying to outdo themselves trying to sound just like Jesus praying that kind of thing and so not that he didn't pray with the disciples but he had prayed many times with them and that's the other thing that that you need to know about wilderness prayer this is the most intimate type of prayer that we can do between us and God the prayer of agreement we all know some people can agree and some people just listen you know sometimes there's this conspicuous thing where you think somebody's listening to your prayer because they're they're not really wanting the best for you kind of thing you know what I'm saying and people snoop in people's prayers all the time you know we have prophecies and you know they're given publicly and so forth everybody's got their ear I say well did you hear what yours was well, I didn't go up no because you're snooping in everybody else's business you could have had that blessing right there that they had but you just wanted to snoop see if you could find something out huh so wilderness prayer is more uh, is more intimate than that, and I would I would challenge you more fruitful than that, because of the lack of human input, lack of human interference, the lack of distraction, the total focus is between you and the Father. 
I know sometimes people got in the habit they pray so often and so much they leave the TV on. I turn mine off. I don't want them demons coming in there and same old devils I chase around all the time and coming in the prayer closet. You know it's distracting enough when you if you sit there and you notice how much time went by. You know all that kind of stuff. So the focus in wilderness prayer is that you want to um, put God more in charge of that prayer. You less in charge and you're willing to sacrifice whatever time, energy, whatever is necessary so that that prayer can be accomplished. And so that interaction with God is so very important and the wilderness secures that. It secures that it's just between you and the Father. Now don't get me wrong. Don't get this twisted. There is a place for all kinds of prayer. The Bible tells us that. There is such a great place for the prayer of agreement with a partner. Because the Bible says two are better than one. When when one uh, kind of falls down the other one can uphold him and keep it going. There are times when your prayer partner is praying for you. And, and you're doing the exact opposite of what the prayer said you're supposed to do you got me because they can hold that in their hearts and uphold you when you're tempted to get fatigued and quit and give up and all of that kind of stuff you want to faint so that prayer of agreement keeps you in the will of God it keeps you with in expectation it, it allows you to come back to it after you've forgotten about it and God reminds you and gets you back into it it can do all of those things for us so we don't want to neglect those kinds of prayer. But I believe there is a place for uh, just an intimate one-on-one with God where we shut everything down, shut everything off, and just sit in silence attentive to him. So you can create a wilderness where you are. Some of them are created by us. This one says Jesus withdrew himself. So he voluntarily placed himself into the wilderness to pray and seek the Father. We are close and and totally dependent upon God in the wilderness. What Jesus accomplished in the wilderness was several things. Number one was that separation from men and distractions. In an uninhabited place he would not run into anyone who would distract him from his contact with the Father. So in creating your own wilderness or your own seclusion you have to give yourself time with God where you separate yourself. Sometimes you take your phone off or you shut your phone off. Those kinds of things. You get yourself where you're not thinking about having to go anywhere. We would always encourage people when they got involved with this ministry don't plan anything two hours after the meeting starts because you may not be done then. Or should I say God may not be done then is more proper uh, proper way of putting it and so we we need to understand that we have to spend time with God and this wilderness experience helps us to spend time with God the other thing is that sometimes the distraction of uh, the flesh cravings of the flesh have to be taken into account too and then there's fasting that can go along with this that further separates us from our own flesh because in wilderness prayer you want to be separated from your own drives your own desires your own things in your heart that may distract you 
So it might be that your prayer in the wilderness is just putting a petition before God or just waiting silently before God to see what he will bring up to you and allow God to speak to you and encourage you. And so uh, this word prayer um Oftentimes we think about it as speaking ourselves, but but for many people it's just that that silence to hear the voice of God, to quiet yourself enough so that you're not thinking your own thoughts, you're not bringing anything much to the table, but you are there in attention before God and and anticipation and expectation of Him speaking to you. There may be many things that are on our hearts. When we come into this wilderness place. Many things that we desire. But in the wilderness because we we say it's a place of total dependence on God. It's proper to wait for him to initiate the conversation. Or wait for him to speak. Many people will say that when they seek God uh, they pray in tongues. And that's good to edify your spirit. But then there is that quiet waiting before God. To see what he will say to you. And what direction the communication needs to go. Sometimes God will give us visions, dreams, messages, prophecies. He may bring us into the word. You know it's proper when you go into the wilderness with God to take the word with you. You know to uh, build yourself up. And sometimes that's the way God wants you to seek him. Is uh, through chapter and verse. So that you're not trying to just be led by a voice. But you know that, that he is speaking to you by illuminating the scriptures. In Luke chapter 4 in verse 1. We see an example here where Jesus was led unto the wilderness. Now this is something that sometimes we like, sometimes we don't like. When we talk about wilderness in the New Testament, we're talking about a place where we are totally dependent upon God. But when we're led there by the Spirit of God, it's probably not to our liking. Wilderness being a place where there's not a lot of choice available to us. So it may be a restriction that's placed in our life in certain ways. You know what I mean when I say restriction? There are many of them. There are things that if God were to bring them into our life now they would be a great distraction for us. Because many times we haven't received the full deposit of that thing in our spirits yet. For it to grow by God's word and for God to make it enjoyable to us. Make it permanent in our lives and make it an asset and not a liability. It can come oftentimes with sorrow if we are not led by the Spirit of God in attaining things. And so there are times when when things that we want to go right don't go right. And maybe won't go right for many, many years. And we can consider that a wilderness because it keeps drawing us toward God. You see, uh, God becomes our comfort then. Uh, for instance, if when we suffer loss, say, uh, you know, there's a, a death of a loved one or a divorce or something like that, that creates an automatic wilderness in your life because there's an area of your life that used to be fruitful, productive, enjoyable to you in many ways. It doesn't have to be totally fleshly, but it can be spiritual as well as in the natural. 
And so in those situations when those things aren't available to us we feel this dryness or this drought or this lack or loss or sometimes a little restlessness wish we had it back wish things had you know there's all kinds of reactions of a human soul to this wilderness experience for instance the children of Israel when they went for 40 years in the wilderness all they did was want to go back to Egypt they thought about the old ways they murmured and complained so the wilderness can represent a new place for us that we did not anticipate being there so when the spirit of God leads us there we are led there and it may not be to our liking it may not be a situation that we like <clears throat> but we are led there by for a purpose Jesus was led to the wilderness he had a divine appointment there to meet with the father God and he was led there by the Holy Spirit he could spend as much or as little time there as possible but when you're led by the spirit God is in total control of the length and duration of your wilderness experience he's in control of what you're going to gain from being there when God leads you it's always a gain it's never a loss Mm -hmm. it's always a gain even though we may have lost something to get us to that point when we get there he starts to build us again he starts to build us one of the things that you'll start seeing in your wilderness experience is supernatural provision I just believe that's a part and parcel of it because God then takes over and he's able to demonstrate how he is God to us even in this situation that's not to our liking or it's not of our decision and so he will manifest himself as God if we will allow him to and really the children of Israel were not using their faith to get anything in fact they were using their faith to push it away from them if you think about it so really it's God's will to provide for us whether we're quote unquote doing everything right or not now you know that that even back then they could make offerings and sacrifices repent turn around and God would then honor their obedience again so there was that factor there with the children of Israel and they could always go uh, uh, to their leader and that was the other part of it Moses interceded for them and was able to get answers from God in their ignorance so sometimes there is is gross mercy where there's gross ignorance Bible says where sin abounds grace does much more abound and so they had grace being the opportunity to do the right thing over and over and over again you got me and so they were able then to have the opportunity to uh, get back into the mercy of God get back into the will of God and receive provision for God from God so as long as they were obedient they got the provision you know basically obedient if they would slip up and start to reminisce about old times then God would have them bring that up to them and show them that it was better for them to use their faith to go forward than it is to try and stay there or go backwards and that's always a temptation in the wilderness it it never looks like it's going to be a good experience and it never looks like we're going to go forward and it never looks like we're ever going to come out but if we'll stay with God 
all of the above will happen. It will come to an end. We will come out and it will turn around. And so God never provided for us to uh, intended for us to live there permanently. But there is a purpose to the wilderness. One of the purposes for the nation of Israel was to have them themselves have the reproach of Egypt removed from them. You know what that means? Reproach happens to, it refers to a mindset that people carry sometimes that hinders them from the full flower of what God has for them. Reproach can be hangover. You know, sinner's hangover. You know, your old life and, and what you thought was so hard about that and you think it's so hard to get over that and you try hard to get over Well, all of that reproach type, type stuff is removed from us in the wilderness. You know why? Because God gets us down to where we live. See, and we can't hide that stuff anymore. Many times reproach hangs on because we find a way to fix it up and make it sound like it's not something that's so bad. You got me? And so when we get into the wilderness, everything is laid bare, everything is revealed, everything that God wants to deal with is dealt with because we have no recourse. We there's some things you can't change as a believer. I don't care how much you, you try to, to do it. You know, we see people who uh get caught up in, in uh, uh you know carnal sins and stuff like that trying to back away from something that they thought God wanted them to do they didn't want to do or some kind of sad or it's too much or God asked too much or there's some grumbling in there somewhere and they'll get themselves into a situation where they uh get you know you you can back yourself into the devil's snare and wind up worse than you were but you still got wilderness and you don't ever just uh you don't get to skip this test you got me you got to go through it and you got to pass it as far as if you're going to go to the next level now if you want to stay in the wilderness and and you know buy suntan lotion for the rest of your life and sit under an umbrella that's you know and eat sand that's fine but (laughs) god has coming out in mind for us he always has coming out in mind for us and so when Jesus went up was led into the wilderness it's very important you understand sometimes it looks like something bad happened to you and you got there you got me but if you stay there you know the things that happen that that's totally the devil you you can know those pretty quickly because you start to pray against them and they move you can't move God and you pray against him all you want to. If it remains, you just got to work with it. You got to deal with it. You got to be holy in spite of. You got to obey God in spite of. You got to continue to sow seed in spite of. You got to continue to be good in spite of. You, all those things we hate doing because we don't have what we want out of life yet. We got to do those. So that's wilderness as well. Part of the definition of wilderness is that it's uncontrollable by humans. And that's you too. You can't get out of it. I've seen people go and you know they swear the church they're going to. They don't you know help them. They don't do nothing for them. They don't let you do nothing. They run off and try to do it outside of, of that relationship with God. And they fall flat on their face and wish they could get back. You know, pride won't let them admit. Huh? 
Well, I got angry and I left and I, the devil deceived me. Sure did. You know, these things can be averted easily if we'll obey the simplest commandments. Like be angry and sin not. When you get angry and you go spouting it off to everybody, that's sin. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to let the sun go down on your anger. But get rid of it before you hit the bed. Because it will be a, a stew for you if you keep it up. People don't understand the first principles about how to keep relationship with God and how to stay in the will of God. But we're getting there folks. These things don't go away. And they're important to God. Because if he's going to bring you into a better place, you've got to get this. You've got to get better control over your spirit than you than we see sometimes. You know, I was thinking about it. You know, I had to pull somebody off of somebody praying for somebody at the healing school. And the person that thought they had a right to pray for that individual had such, when I told them not to, their countenance totally changed. And the Lord said he was going to impart that angry spirit onto that person. You understand what I'm saying? See, people think we're just being controlling and funny. But you don't want that angry devil that that man has because it's driven him to drink. It's driven him to do all kinds of things. you got to check out the vessel that claims they're laying hands on you. The Bible says neither be partaker of other men's sins by laying hands on them suddenly. Same thing as letting them lay hands on you. And we got to stop this nonsense and start obeying spiritual laws and spiritual rules. You know, I don't think I'm too good for anybody. But you know what? God has taken care of me for for over 30 years not having nobody lay hands on me but him when I needed it. And when I get in front of a minister that has something for me, he'll tell me to go and submit myself to those per- that person is being led. And I don't pick up junk from people trying to be a part of somebody's club or somebody's group or somebody get accepted by this bishop and that I could care less. The bishop of my soul has already made me accepted in the beloved of God. So I don't need none of this nonsense. But we have to obey these spiritual laws folks. If we're to live right, receive right and have what God has for us. So Jesus was led by the spirit to the wilderness. Why do you think it's important for? (laughs) Verse 1 it says and was led by the spirit into the wilderness. Was led by the spirit into the wilderness. Well, what happened when he got there? Hello. Quit talking to your finger in your hand. <coughs> Hello. He was tempted 40 days by the devil. Huh? You need to know that Jesus didn't get himself into some trouble that got him there. You got me? That is, That was the will of the Father for him. Just like it will be the will of the Father for you at times when the devil tests you and tries you. If God doesn't pull you out, it's going to work out for your good. Mostly though what we go through is our faults. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And we feel good that we don't get it worse. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So because we have iniquity in us, you know, the temptation is legit. It's legal. 
You know, because there oftentimes we do uh, sow sow seed to the flesh, and you got to reap of the flesh as well. You know what I'm saying? And so that comes as a a uh, a tool for us to learn that you you know God is not mocked in things. You can't you can't tell him he can't pay you back for stuff you do wrong. He's not gonna let you mock him. You got me? Now the curse is broken. But that doesn't mean you're not going to go through some wilderness things. You're going to have to wait for some stuff. You're going to have some stuff, some seeds that don't come up right. You're going to have some seeds that half chewed off because of what you sow into them. Huh? If your faith isn't what it needs to be to perfect that thing like the word says it's supposed to be, it's not going to come up like the word says it's supposed to come up. That's why Jesus always worked with people to enhance their faith, to perfect their faith to get their faith to the right place where he could grant what they were saying by faith and so we have to understand that when Jesus was led by the spirit up to the wilderness it was not because he did wrong got me he was perfect in all of his ways so this was permission of God but it was necessary for him for something that he needed more than what he had when he went in I think the most important thing you need to do is examine the before and the after to see if God's in it. You can't ever say well God did this and not have evidence to show that God was there in it with you. But you look at the outcome. And so he says he returned from the wilderness being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were were ended afterwards he was hungry. But then in the midst of that 40 day trial I think this is what happened. Because it, it wasn't at the end of it that the enemy tempted him. Because the enemy's there to tempt you all the time. I don't know about you but if I try to quit eating on day one he's going to come to me and try to get me. He don't wait 40 days you know. <laughs> and then come up yeah wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute. See, he's hungry the whole time. Wouldn't you be? Day two, you pretty hungry, huh? Say nothing about 40. So you you see there, this was a testing that had to go for the legal definition of testing, which is 40. The number 40 is always the number of testing or trial. So he lasted 40 days with the devil hammering at him. This is not a one-time conversation where the devil said, mm, when can I go and talk to him? He talks to him all the time. Talk to me all the time. I don't know about you. He talked to you all the time too if you let him. Huh? He's always coming up with something. Oh, you don't have to do that. Oh, you know, trying to sound like he's wise. Huh? True that. So he came to him, if you're the son of God, challenging who you are. It's always, see this is where where people miss it. Because they're looking to just obey, you know, just do it. Where God wants it done from the heart. He wants this this obedience grafted in so it becomes a habit and a lifestyle for us. 
He doesn't care about this one time do it and just to say you were able to do it and then forget about it. It's called the law. It's called the works of the flesh and the works of the law. Just to do it because he says do it. But he wants it being done consistently. And consistently for 40 days Jesus was able to uh, speak to the devil and let him know that he was sure about who he was. If you be the son of God. Hmm? Now Jesus was there as a man and as God. So he had capabilities to be both. Because as the son of God he healed the sick, raised the dead, all those kinds of things. And so, but as a, a, uh, a normal man, his identity had to be challenged as a natural son of God, able to obey the natural things that God gave him to do. And so <clears throat> this is something that's very, uh, a very, uh, I would say, touchy subject with the devil. The sonship thing. Because he's been disinherited. He lost his first estate. And he wants to take everybody he can with him. To the great abyss. Weeping and gnashing of teeth etc etc. And so he challenges on our identity. To see if we can get into a debate with him about who we are. Because we're not sure. This is always the great debate, folks. Anytime you have to defend yourself, it's because you're not sure. Anytime you feel you've got to convince somebody of something, it's because you're not sure of who you are. Because who you are never changes. It should be evident to everybody who you are. And you don't have to defend who you are because it's not something that's defendable. It just is what it is. And so you don't have to prove that you're a son or daughter of God by doing certain things that people tell you. What kind of Christian are you? You don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do that, you don't do that. You don't. Well, I'm the kind that don't obey you, I obey God. That's the kind of Christian I am. No, I don't do none of that stuff you think I'm supposed to do. I do what God tells me to do. And see, we've got to know who we are at all times. Whether we're hungry, whether we're fed. See, this is where it gets most people, is in lack. When we have these wilderness experiences in life. Then with the first thing the devil does is come to us and say, well, God didn't tell you. Are you sure you heard from him? Maybe he didn't tell you to do that. Maybe he, maybe he didn't mean this. Maybe he meant those thoughts come to all of us. That's this temptation, this trying of, of your identity. See, if you know who you are and you walk in faith about who you are, these voices have very little impact and very little consequence with you. But if you if you're missing some things, if there's something lacking in your life, and you keep it keeps gnawing at you, and the devil keeps, yeah, why don't you have this? That's him. He'll even bring other people to parrot that kind of nonsense. Them haters pick up. The haters know each other. Right. And them spirits get on people. They just look at you funny one day and don't like you. All of a sudden start picking that up. Huh? 
But as long as you know who you are and you're secure in it. You need to investigate. God why is it taking so long for such and such and so and so to happen? Why is it that I have to wait for this? Why is it? Why is it? You can talk to God about that and talk to him about anything in your wilderness. Just in your heart and in in your aloneness with him. You can pour your heart out to God and get answers or you get reassurance. Sometimes if God doesn't say anything that means you're okay. I've checked you out and you're okay. Or sometimes when you come out of that experience and out of that prayer he will lead you to do something and put you on a, another path that gets you there and puts you on a more secure footing for that thing. So only good comes out of this wilderness experience. So he's t- tempting Jesus to eat something. Huh? Do You can do son of God you ought to be able to do some magic here. Turn some stones into bread. You know, turn water into wine. I saw that. Now it's time to turn some stones into bread or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I don't think he'd gotten that far yet. But this was his anointing to receive his commission to ministry. And so he's wanting here, the the enemy's wanting him to do these things out of season. To get involved in the supernatural before he's anointed in God's power. Now this is common. People who don't. The Bible says if you're called to your call to ministry, wait on your ministering. That means wait on the anointing, wait on the instruction, wait on your message, wait on everything God has to go with your ministry. But there are people that just feel called, won't jump out and do stuff, and this is this is it. They do it because they have a fractured sense of identity. They they may feel like they're saved or feel like they want to do something for God but they're not secure in it before you can stand before God's people and speak for him my goodness you got to be secure in some things folks you got to at least be secure in the call even if the message isn't refined and polished and all of that kind of stuff you have to have a sense of security in this so that you're firm in it you're sure footed and you begin to allow and allowing God to use you is simply a matter of training your, your spirit to respond rather than your flesh and the insecure parts. Well if you've got more insecurity than security you're going to stand there and make stuff up. You're going to be just like all the other goofballs out here. Hyping people up in their flesh, getting them all excited and emotional, and you know, running out there and say, "Woo, drop down," and you know, all that kind of stuff. It, it just—it's ridiculous. It doesn't help anybody. You never saw Jesus playing to a crowd. You know, I mean, the crowd was there. He could care less if he was teaching the disciples, which was a handful of people, or if he was out with the multitude. He never changed how he did things. He never changed how he operated. He always did the will of the Father. So <clears throat> the devil's trying to get him to take on supernatural power before God anoints him and releases him to do it. This is where many, many good gifts are lost. They're lost in the the sea of religion, pretense, and man-pleasing. 
And none of that stuff is going to get you. And I'll tell you why. They don't like being alone. Insecure people don't like being alone. They don't like being alone with God. They don't like walking alone. They always got to have some buddies. They got to have three people to say amen every time they say something. Give me a break. Well this is my entourage. I want to say them the same goofy people that used to come to our meetings all the time. And <laughs> back for round 17. It's like that little roving band of, of rebellious sheep that aren't under anybody's authority. Got more religion than they have God. But they'll make an entourage for you. Mm-hmm. And drop you as soon as they find you. They're ready to move on someplace else. So Jesus says it is written. That's how you get the devil. You don't get him with smart retorts or trying to think of something cute to tell him. And I rebuke thee, that you know of what you heard somebody else say, or sling water on people like Morris Cirillo did. You know that kind. Of, you can't get get the devil like that. You get him with the word. You got to know what's written. And this is why God leads you there because you got word inside you that you must bring out by the direction of the Holy Spirit and not let your flesh get involved in your fight with the devil your flesh must be disengaged Jesus rebuked the disciples you know they had cast out devils and afterwards it got in their flesh and they got excited Ooh, Lord even the, the, the devils are subject to us in your name you know they put in your name but really they were they put that there because they was talking to him they didn't want to seem like they was in the flesh trying to fool Jesus again and he says uh, he said I don't want you getting excited about it. he said the devil's nothing he said I saw him fall by his own power you got me he fell I didn't cast him out he's already fallen why are you excited about taking authority over somebody that's fallen that's like being excited about beating up a dead man you got me that's just how so Jesus said don't don't marvel about that marvel at you getting to go to heaven with your crazy selves running in here with this with this nonsense getting all excited about the devil he's a dead dog already don't have no power no teeth no nothing he's just a big blowhard he says then the devil in verse 5 took him up to a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time see if people would get this stuff out of them before they move on try to move on in God we'd have a lot more stay in power in the ministry because Jesus was tempted in, in the three points where Adam and Eve fell Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. You know, we and people fall because of all three. Because they haven't been tried. They haven't passed the test. And they're, they've got a method for how they can get successful and look successful in the natural. And at some point, them things don't jive. That won't hold you up. So the day is coming when if you have not passed this test before God and you don't take your wilderness medicine, <laughs> you know, your refresher courses. But Jesus, it was one time in the wilderness that we know of being led of the Spirit, but the other times were voluntary, weren't they? Yes, 
he voluntarily withdrew himself because he need, needed fortification. He needed to get with the Father. He needed whatever it did for him. He knew when he needed it and he voluntarily withdrew himself from people. You know, you tell that to ministers now and they're scared they're going to miss, miss some money if they don't stay out there. You got me? Just a thought or some fame. Oh, you mean so and so wants me to come? Oh, I'm going. Mm-hmm. Every open door is not an open door from God. You know, people people used to say that the old time preachers. Well, you know, when you're called to preach, every open door is from God. I just took it that way. Well, that's not the right way to take it. There's some open doors. If you if you get that blanket permission, you're not being led by the Spirit of God. Because I can tell you, anybody anybody who who says that is not going through every open door. They're picking and choosing the ones that they want. So you can't say that. You have to pray about all of these things. People who respect that anointing pray about it before they go anywhere. They do. So anyway, he the, takes him up to and he, he uh, offers to give them... Give him all the power and all the kingdoms and Jesus knows he is going to reign because of his obedience to the Father. Not because of taking an opportunity. See if you want to reign with him you got to suffer with him the word says. In other words you have to endure these situations that you go through where you can't have everything that you want 100% all the time. He says here he says if you'll just worship me. And that's what the devil wants us to worship at his altar. You know, his altar is an altar of weakness, folks. And when we leave that altar, we're weaker for having been there. God's altar is an altar where we can come in weak and leave out strong. We always come out stronger for having spent time with God. You go in, God, I'm, I don't understand this. Or I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Or I just feel inadequate. And I just feel like I'm messing up all the time. Or whatever, whatever. You come in confessing your weakness. And when you leave out, you leave out in strength. When the devil gets involved, you get to his altar and start worshiping him. And the little bit of strength you thought you had, you're going to lose that. And be even in more bondage going out of there than you ever were (laughs) because that's what he likes to do so he's looking for an opportunity to get Jesus to forfeit his true reward same thing he did with Adam and Eve he'll promise you something you already have coming from God his price is much higher though you never get out of his web. Once you step in there, you let your flesh get intoxicated by some of his stuff. Huh? You never get out of there. Here's some people who think they're bound. They can't quit doing certain things. I can't, I can't, I can't. That's just a trick of the devil. You can stop anytime you want to. He's got you convinced that you're. See, it's more of a matter of him convincing you that you're weak instead of any real weakness. So if he can convince you that you've got to do what he tells you to do, he's got you. So then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said, If you, the son of God, cast yourself down for his written, I'll give your angels charge. Always some foolishness the devil wants you to do. Challenge you with something foolish. Huh? You know, young young men, you know, they'll just want to date, want to date, want to date, want to date. 
And then, you know, nine months later, they're a dad. Now you got to go to work. You got to make money. You got to see. You see the the bondage he wants you in. He got to make you where the devil made you, prompted you, made you. Now he's making you, and he'll make you for the rest of your days on earth if you don't have enough sense to run to God and get yourself released from some of this bondage. It's what he likes. He likes getting you bound up so that you have to do these things. When you're at home with mom and dad, you you they let you. Pray for three months to get a job, even though you knew it was one round the corner you could have got. Huh? You got them when you wanted to until they got really firm and put their feet down. And then now you must do it. See, you got to do it. Now you got the court telling you, you got to do it. Huh? Got baby mama telling you, got to do it. Everybody's on your case making you do things because you traded in your liberty. For bondage because the devil convinced you that living at home with mom and daddy was wrong. That's bondage. You got to get free. Get out here and have some fun. Do what these other folks do. Huh? That's the way it is. He always disguises a reward. He makes it look like he can give you the reward without as much trouble as God is going to cause you to get it from God. Mm-hmm. God will make it worth your while. God will make it stick. It'll be there at all times when God endows you and empowers you with something. It will be there with you at all times. The devil likes to take stuff back when he gets you involved in things. I was watching, uh, you know, you watch certain things. You see certain things and, and you know, it's, hmm. And I remember praying for Paula Dean. They were on her case about her diabetes. You know what I'm saying. Now this is the way the world is. See when Jesus saw sick people and they wanted to be healed. He was moved with compassion. And set them free from the devil's sickness. When the world sees you sick. They point the finger at you and accuse you. You don't live a good life. You're not a healthy person. You should do this. And they were on her case because somehow somebody snooped around and found out she was diabetic. And they condemned her for continuing to cook the kind of food on television that she'd always cooked. So and and this is how you can tell that these liberal people they they every time the devil sneezes they run with 15 handkerchiefs to blot his nose. So apparently the higher ups on that television network gave her son a show both of the boys kind of lost weight gave the son a show not my mama's meals now we're putting her down she built that stupid network you got me you bite the hand that feeds you you're going to have a hard time getting fed in the future people like herself emerald i noticed emeralds when he built that network he was one of the first ones that had a big draw had all the cookbooks all the people they would have these big events and he was the main person there and he did tons of people just coming out to see a cook and so here now they're judging everything all of a sudden now she's in judgment so they 
kind of put her down now she they made her lose weight too you know she looks horrible you know I mean I know it's healthier for her probably but it just is not a good look on her she looks older much older than she's ever looked I don't know what the key to that is to for people who are diabetic and need to lose some pounds to to not look so so worn but there's a spirit a heaviness that comes over people sometimes when they're pressured into things so now they've done that to her she kind of straightened up her act and then they find out that in a deposition somebody asked her if she'd ever use the n-word and she admitted she did well she did because everybody does that I don't know where these holy liberal sinner people come from they sleep around never get married snort and smoke everything they want but yet they're going to tell somebody else how to live I don't get it I don't get where they're coming from but anyway when the devil's ready to judge you and take that money back he'll take that money back from you so that's all that's going on now Paula done got too big got too much money but my advice to be was to for her uh, right now run to Jesus forget these people just run to Jesus go back home where you came from go back to being small again because if God don't make you big you're not going to stay there anyway you don't want the headache of having to answer to all of you. so now the devil's got her bowing to him apologizing to everybody and begging their forgiveness and I, I say listen I said it you want this show take the show what else you want take that too I'm going on with Jesus I'm going back where I came from that's when you come home. You know, if you don't have sense enough to stay with him, you run out there and see how far you can get, but have sense enough to come home and begin to trust God. So Jesus passes all of these tests for us, which lets us know that if we will walk in those steps he walked to, we can pass the test too. We don't have to fail once God gives us a name and gives us prominence and all that kind. You don't have to fail. You don't have to be afraid of the enemy coming and, and tearing you down because you've got integrity on the inside of you. You've got some staying power. So then Jesus went when when it uh, it departed and, and, and Jesus said uh, in verse 13 it says the devil ended all the temptation and departed for a season. Just a season folks. There will come a season where we're back in the wilderness again. You got me? And so these are places we don't have to think about it in such a negative light. But these are places where we can I say when I say go get your clock cleaned. That means just get all the debris out of your soul. Get your yourself uh, outfitted for uh, going forward. You know, get the battle scars taken care of. You know, get the the you know the uh, shrapnel out of your from under your skin. You know, all those things that come with the the uh, slings of serving God. You know, the the arrows that come from the enemy. All of those things you can get battle worn and battle weary, and God knows when to pull you off the battlefield and take you to the wilderness for repair. So. <clears throat> In the wilderness we said only God and his creation are present. No distractions. Human influence and human worship are obliterated. Got me? Sometimes things, people in our lives get bigger than God. And the wilderness takes care of that. Huh? 
He takes care of that. When you come back, you come back with such an understanding of who God is, who you are, what you're supposed to do. Okay, God, I'm straight and I'm straight now. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm not supposed to be over there doing that, trying to get along with these kind of people because all there are trouble to me and a snare. You, you got me? And so he gets us straight in our minds about our associations, about our commitments, and about our priorities. So the wilderness is a place where all of that gets straightened out. If you get your priorities messed up and you think you're supposed to be doing this instead of that. This first, then that. And God knows that every time you make a decision, he gets bumped lower and lower and lower on your list. And he's not going to have that. He's either going to be God or he's not. You got me? And so wilderness puts it right back in perspective. It bumps God to the head of the list again. And all them other people that you keep running around trying to impress get bumped down. You got me? Even if God brought them into your life. There's right ways of relating to people and wrong ways of relating to them. And so he will make it so that you relate to that person in the right way. And he takes the wilderness as a place of, of doing that. Sometimes people will separate from you. And, and in the past you were just, you know, you're like a little puppy chasing a, a, a you know, a little snack. <laughs> just wait every time they say something to you. Just wait for them to drop you a snack in your mouth. Well, you get one good time in the wilderness and you sit up and say, I can't believe I was ever. You got me? I mean, what was the draw? Huh? But we don't spend enough time with God to get that stuff burnt off of us. You know, it just. <laughs> We're supposed to do that for God, is what the Bible says. It's a deer pants after the water. Huh? We're supposed to pan after God, not not the other way. See, that's witchcraft when people do that to you. That's you know, you need prayer when when you get involved with people like that. Because that's not that's not any that's not normal human relationship. That's that's witchcraft in there. Because people observe you and watch you and know when it's time to yank your chain again. They know exactly how long to leave you out there and when to put the hook in and reel you in. So you're just like a little fish or a little pond. Huh? They'll know how to swim upstream just floating around <laughs> waiting for somebody to throw a hook in your mouth. You'll get hooked. And so we have to understand that wilderness takes care of those fleshly cravings in us. For attention. For oh, I, I deserve so and so. And the minute you start talking like that you picked up the devil's language. You don't have to deserve anything from God. He just gifts us. You don't deserve a gift. You just receive it. You don't you don't set your own deserving schedule up. You don't deserve you deserve a fiery furnace, buddy, that never's quenched. And so we we have to understand that when we start talking to ourselves like that. When is it going to be my turn? I, I'm tired of being this. I'm tired of being. This. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna get more tired too. But my suggestion is to learn how to take it with some dignity. Learn how to appreciate God in the midst of it. Learn how to find Him in a proper place. Maybe you just need a higher place in God. You don't.
don't need all these things on the outside to make you look like you've arrived. Maybe you just need to arrive with him. Amen. All right. Why don't we stop. Father in heaven we thank you for your word and for understanding. and Thank you Lord for your grace that is so sufficient for us. So much more sufficient than anything that we could know Lord. And, and that we don't need everything before our eyes. We can have a lot in the bank and very little in the checkbook. So we thank you for it, Lord. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. If somebody needs prayer, come on up. I'll pray for you. Amen. Praise the Lord.